Good morning. You can turn with me to Luke chapter 9. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, which brings us to verse 10. And this morning we're going to be reading what's probably for most of you a very familiar text. And yet, uh, our prayer this morning is that the Lord would give us fresh eyes to see it anew and what He has for us today. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 10. Here's what we read. And the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. Then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him. And he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who had need of healing. When the day had begun to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions, for we are in a deserted place here. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, for there were about 5,000 men. Then he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of 50. And they did so and made them all sit down. And then he took the five loaves and the two fish. And looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. And they all ate and were filled And twelve baskets of leftover fragments were taken up by them. Let's pray this morning. God, as we come before your word, Lord, as we look at a text that for many of us is familiar, for some of us it may be new, God, we recognize that it is something that we all need to hear. God, that it has truth about who we are that it has truth about who you are, and it has truth about what we should do in light of those two things. God, I pray that this morning we would be open to what you want to speak. God, whether it's an encouragement or an, an admonition, Lord, I pray that we would be humble enough to receive it to allow you to speak into our lives. Show us the way we are to go. And and God, I pray that we would know your love, your grace, your truth, and your mercy in a deeper way this morning. Lord, we need you to speak to us. So would you speak, and would we have ears to hear for your glory? And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome this morning. We're so glad you are here. And if you haven't been with us before, we're taking our time going through the entire book of Luke. Um, We're calling it Good News for Everyone because the author Luke is making it a point in this gospel to, to demonstrate that, that the gospel came for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. And even in our text this morning, we'll see that even those who were invited into a moment and those who just came and invited themselves, just the same, Jesus welcomes them and, and meets them where they are at. And last week, we took a while to look at the disciples being sent out. That's important to realize because what we're going to find here as we begin is them coming back to tell Jesus all that's taken place. And so you need to know the context to know Last week, he sent out the disciples in groups of two, and he, he anointed them. He gave them his power and his authority to go out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal, to cast out demons where they would go. And so they went out faithfully in groups of two with God's power upon them to fulfill his ministry. And now they're returning. This is what brings us into our text when they're going to give a a testimony to Jesus. They're going to testify of what happened and what took place in all the regions they went to and the people they encountered. 
And then we're going to see an unexpected crowd that arrives. If, if you're taking notes this morning and you want to write down a title, you could write this down, More Than Enough. That's what we're going to see this morning, More Than Enough. But the first thing that we read is that when they returned from their missionary journeys, these 12 disciples, they told him all that they had done. Now, some, I would say it's not the majority, but some commentators uh, tend to paint the disciples in a negative light because of this verse. They tend to say, oh, see how it says they came to tell all that they had done? They're, they're just here to try and boast, right? Like, they went out and did this missionary work for Jesus, and now they're coming back like, let me tell you what I did. Well, let me tell you what I did. And although that doesn't seem too far-fetched for disciples that are constantly arguing about who's the greatest, um, I tend to think this is much more of them coming and, and so proudly sharing with Jesus, and you anointed us, you gave us power, you gave us authority, and here's what happened. Like, we, we interacted with people that had demons, and demons were being cast out in your name. You, you sent us to heal, and we've never done that before, but now that you gave us your power, people are being healed, and they're coming, and they're sharing story after story, not of their incredible power and might, but, but of God's faithfulness to give them what they needed. You know, unfortunately, in far too many churches, we're lacking this kind of space for people to share their testimonies. We need more of this to go on, where you're able to gather in a room with some people and say, I just want to tell you what God's been doing. They went out on a missions trip in groups of two, and then they come back, and Jesus takes them to a deserted place, and the other gospels tell us part of that is so they could rest. They're tired. They're weary. But also, it's a time that they get to come together and mutually share and encourage each other and let me tell you what God did where I was. Man, it's so important as believers that we are having space to be able to share these things. And not because someone is forcing you to, but because you willingly desire to. And I say that because I remember when I first went to Bible college, um, there was just sort of a, a culture at, at Bible college that when, when I walked in the first day, these were the first two questions anybody would ask me. They'd, they'd walk up and say, hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Lucas. What's your testimony? I'm like, whoa there. Like, I'm, I'm just trying to get my room key, you know? I, I, you want to know my whole testimony right now? Like, do we have time? And that's just kind of the culture there. There's a bit of a bubble, and it's, it was a sweet season, but I understand, too, that that's probably not the most practical way for us to take this and apply this. You're at the grocery store and the clerk's like, okay, that'll be $23.75. Okay, $23.75, great. And, and tell me, what's, tell me your life story, right? Like the people in behind you in life are not, or behind you in life, behind you in line are not going to appreciate that moment. They're like, I've got groceries to buy and places to go. I don't have time to hear the clerk's life story. But there are times that we should really set aside like this where the disciples get together with Jesus and they get to share what the Lord has done. And when's the last time you just got, grabbed coffee with someone, said, Man, I just want to hear what God's doing in your life. What's God showing you? How is God using you? And how can I be praying for you? And then I want to be able to share with you too what he's doing in my life and, and how he's using me. And not so we can puff ourselves up, but so we can glorify God and encourage one another in our faith. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, it says, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you with an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Maybe some of you are going, what does it really mean, though, to exhort one another daily? Like if someone invited me to coffee and they wanted to exhort me, I don't know if I'd go just because I don't know what that means. Well, that, that Greek word for exhort, to exhort one another daily, it's, it's also the same root where we get our word for the Holy Spirit. The, the word exhort is paraklesis. Our word for Holy Spirit in Greek is the paraclete. 
And so, we understand the Holy Spirit who comes alongside us, who comforts us, who teaches us, who encourages us, and draws us towards Jesus. And this exhortation, when we exhort one another daily, it's, it's similar in that it's coming alongside each other and comforting each other and encouraging one another and pointing one another towards Jesus. But that doesn't make it soft. In fact, the best definition of exhortation is it's a strong urging by someone coming alongside you. In many ways, it is a challenge to someone that you have a close relationship with, but done so in love for the sake of their maturing and growing in their walk with God. And do you have those people that can, in a loving manner, come alongside you and challenge you a bit? So that maybe when they ask the question, what's God doing in your life? You're like, I don't know. What's he speaking to you? I don't know. Well, maybe you should listen a little more. Maybe you should spend some time and ask him, what is he speaking to you? And, and look and listen. Really sit before him so you can hear what he's showing you. That's a challenge, but it's a loving challenge that desires to see that person mature in their walk and grow in grace. And here are these disciples, they're sitting around and sharing. And here's what happened, and, and here's how that went. And it's a very real part of what is necessary in a Christian's walk so that we aren't hardened, so that we don't grow stagnant, so we don't lose sight of why we're here and the mission we're on. I once had a boss, a Christian boss in a Christian company, and when he would bring people in um, to talk with them, to, to hear how they're doing, to kind of evaluate their work, the first question he would always ask them is, how is your walk with the Lord and what has he been showing you lately? And at first I thought, is this just a, a topic to try and get them off guard, to lower some walls so you can ask what you really want? But he would remind me time and time again that how important that was. And that often the answer to that would tell him everything he needed to know about how their work was going and how they were interacting with others. And when there were problems in their work, it usually started because there was a problem in their walk with the Lord. And so he would address that first and foremost, and then he could talk to those other issues. Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, he understood this. He understood the encouragement and the unifying effect that sharing what God is doing in our lives and others has on us, which is why he said in Romans 1, 11, and 12, how he longed to see them, that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established he said, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Are you lacking in that encouragement today? Do you feel like you're just discouraged and you need to be encouraged? Get in a room with some people that are following God and share with each other. Where have you seen God's faithfulness in your life, and where might someone else need to hear it? Because, man, I can tell you, the time someone shares something, and it may be something I know, I've, I've heard it a hundred times, and yet just hearing someone once again remind me of what God's doing in their life and how He is faithful can be such an encouragement to me. Oh, that's right. Thank you. I need that. We need those reminders. One of the ways we hope to do this actually in a few weeks is that we're going to be doing a bit of a missions update. We had a team go to Ireland and Africa, and we don't want to keep that a secret. All that we got to see the Lord do over in those places, all the ways He is so faithful and He was showing up in moments, moments that uh, we could easily spend our whole service today just talking about, walks on the road, interactions with people that were so divine. And the Lord was clearly working. And we want to share those with you. We want you to be encouraged by what the Lord is doing in Ghana and in Ireland. We want you to hear of God's faithfulness. And we also want to hear how God might be stirring in you to be a part of those trips and coming alongside that work. And so it's a practical way. We want to we apply this text 
But another great way is, is home groups, is men's and women's Bible studies that are starting back up soon. It's spaces that you can get in to be with people of God and be encouraged by each other's faith and what the Lord is doing in each other's lives. Here, the disciples come together and they're, they're sharing with Jesus and with each other all that has taken place. And Jesus takes them to a deserted place. He takes them aside privately to a place that we're told belongs to the city of Bethsaida, but it would have been outside of the city, which is why when they don't have money or food, they say, well, we're in a deserted place. Where are we going to get food for these people? Do we have to go all the way to the city? And Jesus takes them here, the other gospels tell us, for the purpose of rest, so that they can be refreshed by their testimonies and they can be strengthened and encouraged and maybe get a little sleep. They've been going and grinding in different cities all around. Jesus is now taking them apart for a season to be still before him. Don't neglect in your own life rest. Jesus saw it as a priority. And if you or I hope to be effective in ministry for the next 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, we need to learn from this and learn how to slow down and learn how to take a break, how to disconnect from technology and our workplaces and to get alone with the Lord and rest and be refreshed and allow our souls to be restored. Because a lack of rest will make you more vulnerable to the attacks of the enemy. A lack of rest is setting yourself up for burnout. A lack of rest, ultimately, if we're being honest, it's, it's rooted in a lack of trust. A lack of trusting that God's in control of that situation. He will provide what you need, and He will oversee the things you're overseeing in your absence. Because what do we tell ourselves? I can't leave. If I left, it would fall apart. If I left, what would happen here? If they didn't have me, hey, there's actually a level of faith it takes to be willing to step aside from all that and rest. Say, Lord, it's in your hands and you see it. And I'm going to set it up as best I can. I'm not just going to abandon everything. But then I'm going to step aside. And as an act of faith, I'm going to intentionally disconnect from it all so I can connect with you. Because in God's kingdom, there is always room for rest. Since the beginning, he's established a day of rest. But in this world's kingdom, productivity is king, and there's always room for more work. So what kingdom are you living for if you don't have time for rest because there's always more work to do? Not the kingdom of heaven. But with his disciples, he takes them to this place to rest to get alone with him. And yet we have an interruption. We're told that although they go to this deserted place, which you'd expect they could have all the privacy they'd ever want, the multitudes hear about it. And the multitudes go, oh, Jesus, his disciples, they're all back together, and they're going over there to the deserted place, and all the crowds begin to come. Jesus is healing people. Jesus is teaching people, and there are those who still want to be healed. There are those who still want to learn. And so they didn't need the invitation. Jesus is going to this place, and we're going to be there. And so the multitudes follow him. But I love Jesus' response. We're told here that the multitudes come and follow, and he receives them. Just because rest is necessary and should be regularly scheduled and a part of our lives doesn't mean that we get to check out as a Christian and the Spirit's leading in moments with others. They sought a deserted place to be alone, but the people came and found them. And what Jesus doesn't do is send the crowds away. What he doesn't do is say, sorry, this is actually our alone time. 
uh, you can schedule a time next week during our regular office hours, and we'd love to meet with you, but right now doesn't work, right? I'm not on the clock, and I don't get overtime, so you're going to have to come back another time. That's not what happens. Jesus receives them, and he heals those who are coming for healing, and he teaches them of the kingdom of God. But the word for received here is an important one to note because it means to welcome kindly. It wasn't a shrug with a sigh and just sort of going, okay, I'll I'll do enough to satisfy them and then let's get them out of here. We can relate, right? We've all been guilty of that. Okay, what's the minimum I can do just to, to solve the problem for today so I can go. That's not what Jesus did here. The crowds come and he receives them warmly. He welcomes them and greets them. It's a warm smile and a kind word and a generous and hospitable attitude toward them. And it's more than just in word because the disciples are going to have enough in a moment. And when the day wears on and they are just exhausted and they're going to say, okay, Jesus, we've done enough, now send them out. And Jesus is still going to say, no, 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 let's meet their need here and now. Let's remember, this is after the disciples have been out on their missionary journey and gone to the surrounding areas and finally are rest. They're tired, they're mentally spent And now they're met with a huge crowd with massive need. You know, true story, when we were coming back from Africa, we had a connection in Amsterdam, and it's our longest flight. It goes from Amsterdam to Utah. It's like 10 and a half hours. And I am a terrible sleeper on flights, which is not good when you've got like 18 plus hours of fly time to get to Africa and back. Um, But on the way back, I was talking with Andrew and Ed and Jeff, and I'm telling them, like, man, I have not slept well, but this flight, this is our longest flight. It's, this is the one I'm finally going to sleep, because I am exhausted, and I I, I just hope there's nobody in my row. Really, I just, I hope I can sprawl out, and I can just lay down and sleep this whole flight. And then I even had a moment where I told Andrew, but what's probably going to happen, because I want that so badly, is I'm, I just know there's going to be somebody that's going to sit next to me on this flight that I'm going to need a minister to. <laughs> and so I go into that flight, full transparency, really hoping it's an empty row, really ready for a, a, some sleep. And I sit down, and there's nobody next to me, and the flight's almost full, and I'm thinking, I'm going to get away with at least one seat next to me, and I'll just put my headphones in and be gone. And then this guy comes over and goes, that's my seat. And I'm like, yes, it is. <sighs> And he sits down next to me, and before we even take off, he goes, hey, what, what were you doing here in Africa? And I'm like, well, I, uh, I was actually going to see our Bible school, and, and he goes, oh, wow, so you're like a religious guy. I'm like, yeah, I'm like a religious guy. And, and uh, I said, what were you doing here? And he said, I was doing a little work. I'm like, oh, okay, working with a, an organization that works with kids. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And he's like, but I'm from Utah, and He's like, uh, my family's Mormon. I'm not Mormon. And I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, I'm, I'm really just kind of trying to figure out what I believe. And, uh, and, and as he keeps talking, I, my headphones that are so close to going to my ears are just slowly getting further and further away. And I'm, I'm realizing with every word he says, I'm not going to get a lick of sleep on this flight. And, and then he begins to just share, yeah, my dad's actually a bishop in the Mormon church. And and I've grown up with it, but I just see problems with it. And hey, could I ask you some questions about what you believe? And because I'm trying, I'm like, yes, you can, <laughs> you can. And so, um, for the next probably three hours, uh, there there was a little break in there, and then it kind of picked up again. But we talked about the Lord, and He asked some great questions. And um, man. It was, it was actually a really awesome time. I was able to give him a Bible, um, and he went home. He has my number, so he's supposed to be reaching back out, but a guy who is really seeking and searching for the truth 
and yet he met me on what I would say was probably the worst time, right? I am jet-lagged. I'm exhausted from a trip. I stink. I mean, it's just, it was not the time I would have set up for this conversation to happen, and yet as the Lord had it, that was the moment. And I picture the disciples in a very similar season, that they've just finished this big missions trip, and they're coming back, and it's finally time to rest. And they're met with more than just one young man with a lot of questions, but just crowds of people that need to be healed, people that want to hear Jesus teach, and as we're going to see in a moment here, people that are hungry. How do we respond in those moments? Because before we see their response and want to cast judgment on them, it's important that we ask ourselves, how do we respond when people come to us with needs and we're feeling spent and exhausted and like we're just ready to mentally check out? Do you receive them as Jesus did? With a warm smile and a, a kind word? And then you really make their problem your own and seek to bring a solution to it. I know we want to say yes this morning. I know in our minds we know it's the right answer. And yet many times, if we're being honest, I think that we give people the worst of us in those moments. They get the, I'm too busy right now, us. They get the, now's just not a good time us. They get the, I'm off the clock, us, or the, have you talked to so-and-so because maybe they can help you, us. Well, let's see how the disciples respond. As Jesus is healing people and teaching them all throughout the day, we're told that the day began to wear away. And the twelve come to him and they say, send the multitude away that they may go into the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we're in a deserted place. It's getting dark. Maybe people are beginning to fall asleep. They've given a majority of their day of rest to these people. And they're already coming off a full workload of ministry. And they're in a deserted place. Jesus, there's no resources here. There's no shelter for them here. There's no comfort or help from our surroundings whatsoever, but they could leave. They could go into the surrounding regions, and they could get food, and they could get shelter, and they can come back another day and hear you some more. And when you begin to place yourself in their shoes, you stop being so critical and going, you know what, I probably would suggest the same thing. Jesus is getting late, and there are, there are places they can go get food and shelter, but not here and not now. So send them away. Imagine what this would look like in the context of your life today. And maybe it's right after you clocked out from work. Or maybe it's when you just got the kids to go down to sleep, that beautiful golden hour. Maybe you just started your vacation and it's day one. Maybe for students in here, the, the bell just rang. Freedom. I get to go and do what I want now. Or you just sat down that evening to watch your favorite show and you've been waiting all day to sit down together and watch it. And then you get the phone call or the text. Someone knocks on the door. You run into somebody on your drive home or at the grocery store. And they're coming with needs that you don't feel like you can adequately meet. Maybe it's money they need, and you know I don't have the money to cover that. Maybe it's a transportation issue, and you're like, my car's got enough issues already. I can barely get it from A to B. Maybe they have questions about Scripture, and you're like, oh, I do not want to dive into that right now. That'll take hours, and I don't even know where I fully stand on that yet, and I, there's other people that could talk to you about that. Church. We need to be willing to enter the mess of those moments and trust the Lord to supply what we need. 
often it's not going to look pretty. It's not going to work out perfectly. And it doesn't feel like the priority in that moment. But God has established that moment and it's just as much as part of his plan. It's not by accident. And he has a purpose in it. It makes me read Matthew 25, 35 through 40 a little differently when I think about it in that context. When we read him saying, For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. I don't know about you, but I often have read that scripture in a context of being full and being ready for it and looking for it. And not in a context of being empty and burnt out and exhausted and these being interruptions to my day or my rest or my vacation. And yet, how do we receive people in those moments? The cold drink of water, the clothing they need, the encouragement and the help. Because Jesus says, inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. And so when the disciples come to him and they say, we're exhausted, we're burnt out, we need a break, send them away. Jesus says, no, actually, you give them something to eat. And throws it right back on them. Have you ever had the Lord do this to you when you try to push something away and then he just flips it right back on you? It comes right back around like a boomerang that you're not ready for and you're like, ah, I thought I was done with that. And here it is again. Jesus pushes back the responsibility on the disciples. And this is good discipleship. Jesus knows there is coming a day when he is going to depart and not be with them anymore. He says, no, there's going to come a day you're going to have people come up to you you're not expecting. You're going to run into people on the road and you need to be ready to make their problem your own. I don't want you to get used to just sending them away or letting me reach their need and then sending them away. I want you to meet their need. And so he challenges them in this moment. You know, if we effectively want to reach the lost in our community around us, we need to be willing to be problem solvers and not problem pushers. See, a problem pusher throws other people under the bus. Hey, yeah, I know you have a need, and, and I bet so-and-so could help you with that, so I'll give you their number. Give them a call, and, and they'll help you with that. Problem pushers look to maybe not toss the problem to someone else, but you just want to push it far enough down the road that maybe another solution comes and you didn't have to be the one to figure it out. Yeah, 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 let's, let's talk about it next week. And then, uh, well, next week's not really a good time. Maybe, maybe the week after, and you just continue to try and push it out and push it out. And maybe someone else will help them. Maybe they'll figure it out on their own. Right, problem pushers go, ah, you need to figure that out. That's, that's a you problem. It's not really a me problem or our problem. So you're going to have to figure that out. The problem solvers are willing to step up to the plate, like Isaiah, and say, Lord, send me and I'll go. Problem solvers are willing to look for ways to make an immediate impact, practically, and not just maybe philosophically debate the problem and then just kind of send them out to figure out what that actually means. Problem solvers are willing to make the struggle of another their own, which means you're not willing to rest until there's been an alleviation to that problem. 
Now don't misunderstand me. There may come times when the most helpful and loving thing you can do for someone is to connect them with someone else. I'm not saying that there aren't moments that you might say, I think actually there is a professional counselor who could help you in a really impactful way. And it would not be the most loving thing for me to kind of fiddle around with things that aren't going to help you if I know someone who can actually help you. Maybe you, you meet with someone and you realize, I know the person who is an expert in this and has a heart to do this and would love to meet with you. And so I want to connect you with them, but not doing so just so you can get out of it, but doing so because you believe this is the best way forward for them. And so you're going to not only help connect them with this person, but follow up with this person and make sure that it's helping and that they're growing and that it is solving that problem. not just passing the buck. And sometimes you're going to need the Spirit's leading to know, God, is this something where you're just going to step in the gap and provide what I don't have? Or is this a moment where you're going to provide the understanding I need of who, the, who to connect them with and how so that we can really help them? But making their problem your own so you don't say, I tried for 20 minutes, I don't have a good solution, and so I'm going to go home now but really trying to help that person find a solution. Because imagine this. Just imagine if Jesus himself was a problem pusher and not a problem solver. When it came to our problem of sin and the need for a Savior, imagine if Jesus said, sorry, not my sin, not my problem. Okay? Hey, listen, buddy, you got yourself into that mess. You need to get yourself out of it. Well, I can't get myself out of it. Maybe you shouldn't have gotten into it, but I am in it. No, but Jesus came down into our mess, and he lived and dwelled among us, not apart from us. And he was bearing their burdens as his own, and he was moved with compassion to receive them warmly. And he took our sin upon the cross so that he could offer us salvation he took our problem upon himself, and what he offers us in return is a solution to it. So how are we being the hands and feet of Jesus with those around us and the problems they have? Well, for the disciples in this moment, all they can see is the insufficiency of themselves and what they have to meet the need. They say, we have no more than five loaves and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all these people, which the other gospel tells us was far more money than they had. In fact, one of the other gospels also tells us that they, they bring this reply when they say, we only have five loaves and two fish, that we got off a, a young lad here. We got it from a boy. What is this among so many? What can this really do? This can't even put a dent in the number of people here that have a need. And what you need to realize is that these three aspects of this situation here, they make up a theme all throughout Scripture from the beginning to the end. These three parts that you've got the people's need, you've got the disciples' inability to meet that need, and you've got God's sufficiency to supply what is lacking. This happens all the way in Genesis and travels through Scripture all the way to Revelation. You will see it time and time again throughout Scripture that people come with a need, and the people of God can't meet that need. And then God steps in and supplies what is lacking. In fact, he supplies more than enough for what is lacking. Now, in our text, that's a very clear layout, right? The people need food. The disciples don't have enough food or money to buy food. And Jesus is going to take what they have and make it more than enough. But we see this all throughout Scripture in other ways as well. The children of Israel were in bondage in Egypt. And Moses, in his own strength, could not free them. All he did was kill a guy and then run away and flee. But then God steps in and provides the power and the authority needed. He causes the plagues. 
He finally gets Pharaoh to relent for a moment so the people can leave, and then he parts the sea. He brings them through on dry land. He closes the sea on top of Pharaoh's army, and then he leads and guides them as a pillar of fire and a cloud. He provides manna for them. Time and time again, he is providing what the people need. Even when those leading them don't have what they need, he has more than enough. Adam and Eve in the beginning sinned, and all they could do was try and cover up their nakedness with some leaves, but the sin still remained and existed. And God takes steps to make a sacrifice to cover them with animal skins, but we understand the picture that was of a much greater sacrifice that would be needed. Our greatest need of sin that none of us could fix on our own, and Jesus steps in the gap, and Jesus His sacrifice is more than enough to cover all our sins, to wash us white as snow. And where our sin abounded, his grace abounds so much more. You could say where we were spiritually lacking, he had 12 baskets full afterwards left of grace for our sin. And so he takes five loaves and two fish, and what does he do? He doesn't look at them and say, not enough. He doesn't look at the crowd and say, too many. We're told that he looks up to heaven. And then he breaks it and blesses it. And he gives it to them. Now this is after he's told the disciples to divide them in groups of 50. Which may have felt like a little bit of a confusing moment for the disciples. And a bit of an act of faith that they had to walk out. Because... All they've done is told Jesus, there's not enough food. We don't have a solution. Send them away. And he says, feed them. We can't. This is all we have. He takes, he says, go divide them in groups of 50. And we know there's 5,000 men. That doesn't include women and children. This is a massive group. And so this is a timely process of dividing every single group into 50. And I imagine you just see groups as far as the eye can see. And then they finally are returning to Jesus and he's looking up to heaven and he's breaking and blessing this food and then he's giving it to them. And scripture doesn't give us the details we want so badly. It doesn't tell us how he multiplied it. Did he just keep pulling it out of the basket? Did they take those baskets and just never run out? And they're like, I thought I grabbed the last piece, but there's one more and now there's one more. And we don't know how he multiplied it, but we know that he did. And isn't it interesting that what Jesus chose to do in this moment is take the five loaves and two fish and multiply it. And here's why I think that's interesting. He didn't need it in order to provide, did he? He's, he's the God who created everything in Genesis out of nothing. So he created the fish that exists from nothing. And he's created the trees and the bread and everything that they have, the baskets, all of it is because of something he created out of nothing. So he's not sitting here going, ah, I need more to work with. And yet he chooses to use the the five loaves and two fish. But you know why I think he did use the five loaves and two fish and not just say, give that back to that poor little boy you took it from. Let him have his lunch, and I'll work with nothing, and that'll be fine. No, he chose to use this, and I believe it's so that we could find hope and encouragement in the reality that God chooses to use us as well. Now, let's think about it. He doesn't need us in his mission. He could do it far better, far faster, far more effectively. He has all that is needed within himself. We don't bring anything to the table that he was lacking. So why use us at all? Because he finds great pleasure in allowing us to be a part of his work. Now I hope this reality this morning removes the massive weight maybe you've been trying to carry in thinking that God needs you to accomplish something. Don't think so highly of yourself today as to think that God is limited by your willingness and ability to be used. You are a lunchable in a sea of hungry people, okay? You are sorely lacking what people need. 
I know we like to think of ourselves as just a full four-course meal, and it is like, I know, God, you're welcome. (laughs) Where do you want me? And yet the reality is we are a little cracker and a little piece of cheese and a little piece of meat, and there is a sea of hungry people that are starving. He doesn't need you, but he does desire to use you. And that should not only free you up of the weight maybe you've been carrying, but it should excite you and invite you to step in and go, man, if you want to use me, this little Lunchable, sure. Man, show me where to go and what to do, and I'll do it. And I know I won't do it as effectively as you could, but you're going to step in, and you'll make it enough. And may that strengthen your faith today as well as you recognize that though it is such a little bit you have to offer, he can step in and make it more than enough for what people need. What if you gave God that one raw talent that you have? That gifting that he's given you that's like, oh yeah, but they can do it better and they do it more effectively and they have more open doors. And What if you stopped looking at everyone else? And he just looked up, said, here's what I have. Feels silly to offer it. I don't see how it could be used. But God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. What if you gave God your limited resources and funds? Said, God, I have very little to give. But I want to be a part of what you're doing. And I want to give what little I can. What if you allowed God to use your limited understanding of Scripture and maybe your limited circle of influence and the limited time that you have and said, Lord, it feels really lacking compared to what other people have. But I know you could use it, and I want to be a part of what you're doing. And so would you use it for your glory? You just might see God turn a Lunchable into a Thanksgiving feast if you were willing to place it in his hands and look to him to supply what you're lacking. But there's a method here we don't want to miss that he uses in his work and how he multiplies it. We're told that he looked to heaven, he blessed, and he broke it. And then he gave it to the disciples to go and give to the people. He blessed the bread and the fishes because without his blessing, it could never be sufficient. He blessed it because even as little as it was, he knew he could make it enough if it had his touch upon it. And he broke it that it might be used for his glory. He broke it because without breaking it, there would never be enough. Remember the woman with the alabaster jar who pours out that costly ointment on Jesus' feet? What did she have to do to get to the ointment? She had to break the jar. There was no way it could be used until the jar was broken. A.W. Tozer once said this, that it is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Jacob wrestled with God and would forever walk with a limp before God had blessed him. Abraham had to be at an age where he would be considered far broken to have a child before God would bless him with a son. Moses had to spend 40 years out in the desert, a broken man, before he was ready to be used by God and do it God's way. Samson had to be stripped of his strength, his eyes plucked out, before he was willing to submit to God and be used in a mighty way. Peter needed to be broken of his pride and denied Jesus three times in the crowd and run away weeping bitterly before he was truly ready to feed God's sheep and be a part of the church in an effective way. Vance Havner once said that God uses broken things. It takes broken soil to produce a crop broken clouds to give rain, broken grain to give bread, broken bread to give strength. 
And you and I will never be used greatly by God till we allow him to break us. To break us of our pride. To break us of our selfishness. To break us of our laziness. To break us of our fear of man. To break us of our own understanding. What if the real disqualifying factor in our lives was not that we are broken too much, but that we have not been broken enough. And it's really easy to talk about being broken and to say, yes, Lord, break me, and we will sing it in songs. But it's a whole nother ballgame when you have to walk through a season of God breaking you and stripping you of your pride. And the things that you trusted in and depended in that were not him, it is a painful season when he brings those to a reality as he breaks you of them. But what if that wasn't you becoming too weak to be used and too damaged to do good? What if that was him breaking you because of his grace and his love for you and because he wants to show you a true strength and dependence an intimacy you can have with him that wasn't possible when you depended on those things and look to that strength. Because when you allow him to truly break you, the beauty is that he builds you back up and he blesses you and uses you in ways that you were never going to be used before he broke you. We took communion last week. And we take it in remembrance of Jesus whose body was broken for us. Whose blood was shed for us. The greatest act in human history that accomplished the solution to the greatest problem that ever existed demanded that the Son of God be broken. So that through his life given for us, we might be blessed by God. the bread of life, Jesus, broken for us, the all-sufficient sacrifice. And what it, would it look like in our lives if we viewed God's breaking not as Him punishing us, but instead as Him equipping us? What if we didn't run from the breaking and despise it but we recognized it as a painful but necessary part of the process in him using us. Because he blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he used it for his glory. Don't mistake the order there. If you're being broken by God today, it's because he is blessing you and because he's going to be using you. Don't run from the breaking. Don't despise the breaking. Trust that it is him equipping you so that he can use you in a way far greater than you could have been used without him. Five loaves and two fish on its own was never going to be enough. It was a young lad's meal. And you've got a bunch of grown, hungry men, women, and children here. So Jesus had to bless it and break it if it was going to be enough. And if you and I hope to be used in an effective way for God's kingdom, don't think that you can just bypass the blessing and the breaking. It's a part of God's process. And so he breaks it, he blesses it, he gives it to the disciples. And what we're told is not just that people had a little snack to satisfy. We're told that there was enough that everybody ate and everybody was filled. And then on top of that, we're given an added detail that there were actually 12 baskets left over, which I love because how many disciples are there? There's 12 of them. So not only is he going to supply what's lacking for the crowds and they're going to give food for everybody to eat and be filled, but all the disciples get a big old basket to take with them. You know, and that's what Jesus can do. When he breaks us and blesses us and uses us, he takes what was never going to be enough and he makes it more than enough. And he doesn't just use us in ways to maybe scratch the itch a little, 
of a problem that exists, but to completely satisfy and fill, overfill, to the point that there are leftovers in abundance more than what was at the beginning. It's not just, oh cool, he, he met the need and now we have 12 baskets. There wasn't even a single basket to begin with. And now we've got 12 left over. So not only was the need met, but we're, start, we're ending in, in a better place than we started. As I invite the worship team to come back up, as we sort of bring this to a close this morning, there's a few questions I want to ask you to be thinking about this week. Even this morning as we begin to move into a time of worship, as you allow the Lord to speak to your life, not the person next to you, not what someone else in here today needs to hear, but as you allow the Lord to speak to you. What is God asking you to give to him today that he might use for his glory? What is he asking you to give to him today? Not what do you have in an abundance that you feel like, oh, I could really make a dent with this. Maybe it's the thing in your life that you feel like you have the least amount of. Oh, I have plenty of money to give, but I've got no time. Maybe God's actually asking you to give him some of your time instead. Oh, well, I've got a bunch of talents I could offer, and oh man, I could really bless this church, but I've, I've got no money. Well, maybe God's still breaking you a bit, and, and those, those talents need to be worked out a little more, but maybe he's asking you to give some of the money that you feel like you have none to give. Or maybe you're the person that says, I've got time, and I've got money, but I've got no talents, okay? Maybe there's some way that you're selling God short, and it may feel like a very, very little bit but God wants to use that so that he can get the glory in it. Because if we flip this story and we said they started with 12 baskets and they ended with a few loaves and fish, God still did an amazing work, but we begin to start giving a little more credit to how much was really in those 12 baskets and not to how much did God really have to do to make this possible. We like to offer God our strengths, but what if his... And what if today God's calling you to offer your weaknesses because that's really where he gets the most glory? And maybe first he needs to break you. To break you of your pride and your reputation, to be willing to look weak and vulnerable and insufficient so that he can show up in a greater measure. This morning, let me ask you, where is God calling you to step into the mess of another and make it your own? Where have you, maybe like the disciples, sent someone away? Because it was more convenient and you were exhausted. And maybe this morning, God's bringing them back up to your mind. God's putting them on your heart so that you would reach back out. And instead of turning them away, you would seek to, to meet that need. Where have you limited God based on your lack when you should be trusting him based on his sufficiency? Because the disciples look at the loaves and fishes and they look at the crowd, but we see Jesus looking up to heaven. And so what if you were to say, okay, I'm looking at this too many, looking at this not enough, but instead I'm just gonna lift my hands and surrender the Lord, I'm gonna look up because he's enough and he has what they need, and he sees the problem at hand, and I'm gonna look to him for the solution for it. And where this morning might God need to break you and bless you so that he might use you? We're gonna have people available for prayer. Upstairs in the back, downstairs in the front. People that would love to pray with you for however the Lord might be stirring in your heart this morning. And maybe it's messy, and maybe it's not fully formed, but you just know there's stuff going on inside and God's working on something in my heart, and I need to be obedient to step out. Just step out in faith. Let God work out the details. But bring it before him.
Bring your loaves and fishes today before him and say, God, here's what I have. I don't know where or how this could be used, but use it. And maybe that's the first step of faith this morning for you is that you know you need to step up and you know you need to be used for his kingdom in a greater way than you have been, but you don't know how or where or when or why. And the first step of faith is just to come forward and get prayer this morning. Say, I don't even know what it is he's gonna use me to do, but I wanna, I wanna offer it to him. I wanna offer my life to him. And if there's breaking that needs to take place and blessing before he can use me, so be it. But let's lay our lives down for him this morning. But before I close, I wanna ask if there's anybody this morning that maybe for the first time in your life needs to make the decision to give your life to Jesus. What I, what I mean when I say that is if you are not a Christian, if you have not confessed Jesus as Lord, repented of your sins, allowed him to renew your mind and give you a new heart, then maybe today he's stirring in your heart that today's the day you need to make that decision first and foremost. Because I'll tell you what, that's the breaking and the blessing that needs to happen before you can be used by him for his kingdom. So if that's you and he's stirring in your heart and you know, yeah, I'm a sinner, I'm on board with that, and I'm recognizing that this guy, Jesus, that we're reading about, man, he really was the son of God. He really did live a perfect life and die for my sins and raise from the dead, and he offers me eternal life, forgiveness from my sins. And you want that. We don't want to neglect the opportunity right now that you have to raise your hand, to pray to him, to confess your sins, and to be saved. Is there anybody this morning that needs to make that decision? I would ask you to be bold enough to raise your hand so that we can pray with you, so we can pray for you, so we can come alongside you and encourage you and share how God called us to that very same decision one time. Is there anyone this morning before we close in prayer? Well, then this morning as we close in a word of prayer and then move to a time of worship and response. Let's turn our heads to the Lord and let's allow him even in these last moments to do a work that he may desire to do this morning. And God, as we come before you this morning, Lord, as we're reminded of a story that maybe is so familiar to us, God, Maybe this morning you've been speaking to us in ways you haven't before when we've looked at it. God, we know this was such an important story in Scripture because all the Gospels mention it. And Lord, apart from your resurrection, that didn't happen. So Lord, would you continue to speak to us and show us the richness of this story? of what took place that day with you and the disciples meeting the needs of that crowd. And then God, would you show us what it means for us today as followers of you, maybe exhausted and burnt out, maybe having pushed away and turned away those who had a need, but Lord, this morning, we wanna walk in your footsteps. We wanna learn from your example God, we want to meet the need. And Lord, it's a dangerous prayer. Lord, it's a prayer we often don't want to pray. But God, we pray this morning that you would break us and bless us so that you might use us. Not our will, but yours, God, be done. Lord, we offer our lives as living sacrifices this morning. 
holy and acceptable to you. It's our reasonable service, God. It's our spiritual worship. Holy Spirit, would you be touching hearts and changing minds and drawing people to respond this morning? Because God, we want to leave this place and step out into a world that has far more needs than we could ever reach. As people that are lacking what is necessary, but looking to a God who has more than enough. And we want to be used for your glory today. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand as we worship the Lord together?